Thank you very much for uh, having us. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, countryside is our, our home, and uh, it's always uh, great to just be uh, back home uh, and to, to see welcoming faces, uh, faces that have prayed for us and loved us and uh, loved our kids and, and thought about us and just uh, uh, supported us so strongly over the years. Um, I am um, just very thankful to be here uh, because I get to share a little bit about uh, just some insights uh, that has, have uh, come to us over a few years of experience, a lot of prayer, and just uh, quite a bit of work to uh, really get in the, into the lives of people uh, as we are trying to uh, glorify Jesus Christ uh, throughout the earth. I'd like to talk to you today uh, this topic, uh, reaching your Muslim friends with the gospel. And there's a, a reason why I put friends there, because I think it's very important that we all uh, consider um, sharing the gospel uh, within the context of, friends, of friendship. I think that's very important. Now, I'd like to know why some of you have come here. Um, there, I know that there are a list of things that, uh, different topics, uh, different sessions that you could be a part of. So uh, how many of you, you know, actually have Muslims uh, that you interact with in your life? Um, and that could be uh, your doctor, that could be um, a workout partner, that could be someone that you, you know, just work with in the office or, or just a neighbor. So would you raise your hands again? Now, would a few of you just say out loud, what is it? What, what's the connection? Is it neighbor? Is it... Um, Co-worker, okay. Anybody else? Okay, long-time friend. Okay, somebody else on this side. What's that? Employee, okay. Oh, wonderful. So we're all over the spectrum in terms of the types of uh, connections that we have with people. Uh, so that's important. What it means to me is that we're really... Um, engaged in different parts of life with people, and we're seeing uh, Muslims throughout our communities, um, many different types of interactions. And an important aspect of that is uh, their natural types of interactions. It's not something that we have to make up. It's not something that we have to go and do that's unnatural for us or unnatural for them or doesn't make sense. We already have those connections, and I think we need to maximize those. Um, my family, uh, we've been really blessed. Uh, we had the opportunity to be together, all together as a, a family of eight for about two weeks. Uh, Angelique and I have been here with our children for about two months, uh, but our oldest son was able to join us. Our, our daughter, who's been uh, doing her last couple of years of high school, uh, was here. And so it's really been a blessing over these last, uh, last few weeks uh, that we've, we've been traveling together. Now, this is an important group of people in our lives, and I'm just giving you a little bit of background on us. We live in a uh, part of Paris that is uh, part of the Paris region. It's the suburbs. It's close to uh, Versailles, if you're familiar with uh, the Paris region at all. Uh, we have a very uh, interesting group of people that we pray with. Uh, this is uh, four of them, but we actually have uh, two more, two singles. Uh, but this particular uh, group of people we pray with on a weekly basis, and our time together is focused on a community that's adjacent to ours, and it is a community of about 35,000 people, and the majority of them, about, up to about 70%, are of Muslim background. And I'm talking about different flavors of Muslim from different countries, 
throughout the world. And so we are probably about the only, the, the only evangelicals that we know of who are really focusing in on reaching people within this uh, community. So this is uh, our, our group. And so it's, it's kind of intimidating when you have so much to do and so few people. But ultimately, we know that God is, is able. So if you look on the Internet today, um, there are lots of different statistics that are out there. Um, we see a lot from Pew Research Center, for example. And we see things like, you know, the, the growth of Islam is going to overtake that. Of, it's overtaking that of any other religion. Uh, we hear all kinds of things. Uh, you know, it's said to grow by 70% between 2015 and 2060 said to overtake Christianity by 2070, um, the second largest religion in the U.S. Uh, by about 2040 or 50. And then I know from our context in Europe, we have a, a group of Muslims that are in huge pockets all over the regions uh, where we serve. And that's not just in France, but in our leadership role, we have... Uh, lots and lots of Muslims that are pouring across uh, from different parts of North Africa, but also from the Middle East. Um, but one of the things I would say is that we can notice when we think about the numbers that this is really, a, Islam is naively considered the world's fastest growing religion. Now, why would I say that? I say that because we also have to balance things out. It, it might make us feel when we are hearing and reading these statistics that um, Christianity is losing in terms of the message that we have and that, you know, the more attractive message is from the other side, from what Muslims are sharing with respect to Islam. But when we think about all of the different things that are happening around the world, when we hear of the growing unsettled nature of various countries that are Muslim strongholds, when we hear about protests and, and we hear about riots and things like that, it's not always uh, a political issue. They are pushing back on a lot of political things, but they're also pushing back on Islam in terms of the religion itself. And many, unfortunately, are moving on towards atheism, but there are also many that are leaving Islam and coming to Christ. And so what we have is an actual balance out of, of this movement, and we have an opportunity to see that, you know, this message that we're proclaiming is an important message, and it's a great one, and it's working, and it's, uh, it's really touching the lives of people, and it's changing them. So when we think about places like Egypt, we think about Saudi Arabia, we think about um, Iran, and we hear about the changes that are happening in those places, one of the things that we can realize is that Islam is, uh, is breaking. People are seeing the truth, and they're really seeing that the gospel is the answer that we all need. It's the only way to go to heaven. It's the only way to go to the Father. And so when we, it, this quote says, if waves of Muslims are abandoning Islam in Saudi Arabia and places like Egypt, Iran then there certainly is a crisis in Islam. So I'd like to just clarify what my purpose is today. Uh, my purpose is not to give you something that you can find in an encyclopedia. 
Um, a lot of the information on Islam and some of the specifics um, you can look at it in many books or encyclopedias or other things. Uh, but one of the things I'd like to talk about, uh, rather than just the facts of Islam, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the softer skills, some of the attitudes, some of the, the, the approaches in terms of mindsets that we need to have as we're engaging Muslims within our circles of influence. I'd also like to clarify that I'm not here to talk about a new type of gospel to Muslims. There's only one gospel, and it's good enough for all of us. There's only one way uh, that we can see God, and that is uh, through repentance of our sins and faith in Jesus Christ, and that is common for all of us. There's no new technique. Uh, there's no new anything. It's, it's simply the scriptures, the Bible, the gospel is for us and for them. With that said, I'll just start off by sharing a couple of resources, uh, but I would like to say that the gospel, again, is the same. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so that is the thing that we take to the place where we serve, and that's the same message that you have to take uh, to your communities here. There's no difference. A couple of resources I'd just like to start off by sharing. Uh, one here is called Reaching Your Muslim Neighbor with the Gospel. It's written by a, uh, a professor who is a teacher at Southern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. And this is a good one uh, that I've drawn on a lot. And it uh, helps us to think through, you know, how we are to interact with Muslims uh, within our circles of influence, uh, within our lives, our, our daily lives. Uh, it talks um, less on um, all of the specifics uh, of Islam, but it talks more to how to engage with people and how to show them uh, love and how to be authentic in front of them, uh, how to bring them into our lives and how to uh, encourage them and, and get into the scriptures with them. And secondly, um, although I don't think that it's important to focus on different methods and approaches to evangelism, I think that we can focus on the main method of just getting into the scriptures. This is a a book that I would recommend, and it is called Any Three, uh, Leading Muslims to Christ Now, uh, written by a former missionary, uh, and, and doesn't emphasize a whole lot on strategies, but focuses a lot on, you know, how can we uh, establish some, some commonality initially by letting them know that we all have this debt of sin that needs to be repaid. But not only stopping there, but going into the scriptures with them and sharing, you know, what is the answer to our sin debt? How can we pay it back? And the answer is that we can't. And so that is what distinguishes Christianity from any other religion in the world. There are four points I'd like to really focus in on today. And this is all in the context of seeking to evangelize our Muslim friends. Number one, know some basics about Islam and Muslims. Number two, remember that Muslims are people, not projects. And what I mean by that is um, we're not looking at them as some type of target that we're trying to reach or uh, something that we're trying to accomplish 
we're looking at them from the standpoint of wanting to get to know people authentically and really wanting to develop true, genuine relationships with them, wanting to love them and demonstrate who we are as believers and what our lives are like. Number three, never shy away from preaching and sharing Christ. We are to share Christ boldly. And four, know that the presence of the church is essential. And I'm talking about this from three different perspectives. Uh, Our societal impact, uh, discipleship and training, as well as uh, from the standpoint of being a community of believers for those who will eventually come to Christ. So, So a few basics about Muslims and Islam. Uh, First of all, Muslims, based on our experience in the Middle East, uh, based on our experience in Europe, um, they can be both nominal, cultural types of Muslims, serious, devout Muslims, and sometimes you run into the extremists. Um, We have, for the most part in our missionary career, we've interacted with a lot of people who are nominal in their faith, uh, in their Muslim faith, uh, which means that you know, they're cultural, um, cultural Muslims. They've grown up in a Muslim family. They may not be very involved at all. They may have some of the um, religious practices that they will adhere to for everyone to see, but it's really not something that they've really ascribed to in their hearts. So most of the people that we know will fall into that category, and perhaps most of the people that you see in your, your circles will also be in that category. And then we have uh, serious or devout. And those would adhere a little bit more. They would know more about Islam and some of the requirements. Um, They may have read the Quran, for example. And then finally, just a few uh, would fall into the extremist categories. And those are some, for example, when we were uh, in the Middle East, we found ourselves at the height of ISIS being in the country of Jordan. And during that time, we were told that there was a great threat of Americans being abducted or random acts of violence uh, being carried out against them. And so we had to be very careful, and some of, sometimes you would um, be told where the extremists would live, and they would be in certain towns outside of the main city. They would um, perhaps dress a certain way, uh, be more fundamentalist in their attire and in their attitude. And so we had to be careful, but that was by far not the majority of people that we ran into. Secondly, we find that Muslims are, by nature, people who want to talk about faith and are are spiritually minded. They want to talk about spiritual things. Now, I found personally that in my uh, travels in uh, the Middle East and Europe and the United States, that it's much easier to talk with um, a Muslim about spiritual things, particularly Muslims in the Middle East or other closed countries or majority Muslim countries, than it is to talk with an American who lives next door to me who really doesn't want any type of interaction on the level of faith. And so in Jordan, for example, whenever I got into a taxi or my wife got into a taxi within about five minutes, the taxi driver would ask me, well, are you Christian or are you Muslim? Why is that? It's because they saw life in those two categories. 
I was either a Christian or a Muslim. And if I was something else, it really didn't make sense. So that's kind of what life is like and what it's pictured as. But I found it very uh, easy to get into a spiritual conversation with a Muslim. And whether they are uh, nominal cultural or whether they are uh, serious, devout, or other, it's pretty normal and it's kind of an expectation that you will talk about who you are from a spiritual standpoint with them. Now, one of the things that's a basic, uh, basic idea about Muslims and what we find ourselves as missionaries being involved in quite a bit, and that is trying to work our ways out of misunderstandings that Muslims have about Christianity. So there are a number of, of Muslims that have misunderstandings, and oftentimes it's not based on the fact that they've, uh, or the possibility they've read the Bible, because often that's not the case. Um, they are hearing from the teachings uh, in the mosque. They are talking with friends and family. They're watching American television and Western television um, in Europe. And so those are the types of ways and means by which they receive all of these ideas about Christianity. And so part of the work of a missionary in getting to the field before you can actually sit down with them and, and get into the scriptures is simply to figure out, you know, what is it that you understand and where did you get that from and can I clarify for you or can I correct that for you? Some of these things uh, relate to the Trinity, for example. Uh, can someone else think of another misunderstanding that you can shout out? What's another misunderstanding that we kind of have or we hear from Muslims within our communities? Yeah, Jesus is a good prophet and what? And teacher and that's it? What else? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't actually die. Um, anybody from this side? Did not rise from the dead. Okay, and we all. Maybe some of you. Oh yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, some of you may have also um, heard that uh, the Bible is corrupt. Has anyone ever heard of that one? Okay, uh, that's another misunderstanding that has to be addressed. Uh, and so it's important that we realize that when we are interacting with Muslim friends, what we need to think about is when they say certain things about their understanding of Christianity, where are they getting these things from? You know, what is their understanding? Are we defining terms? Are we starting from the basics and really emphasizing what the Bible actually says and trying to get the scriptures in front of them uh, so that we can read with them and explain. I think that's one of the fundamental things that we have to consider doing. Uh, this is a picture that uh, I took with some friends uh, when I spent time in Jordan. It's a special photo for me because um, these two young men were in their 20s. The guy who I'm uh, right next to, he is a young man who's, who's probably about 22 years old at the time. Uh, he was uh, from Syria. And again, the context here is ISIS and, you know, lots of flows, of, a huge flow of Syrians across the border into Jordan and Lebanon and so forth. And the other guy on the other side of him, he was a uh, Palestinian young man. And I think that he suspected that I was talking, probably going to talk with this young man, the Syrian guy, too much about my faith and so forth. So he was kind of the protector. 
And so when I approached uh, my friend in the middle, because they worked together, uh, they worked in a little spice shop. And when I approached my, uh, this young man, and he was very kind, so I, I wanted a language partner, and he wanted, I think, to, to chat in English. And so this was a, a great way to also uh, share the gospel, to seek help from him, and he would be helping me, and I would be helping him. And so when I went in and did this, it was um, just a, a really eye-opening experience because when these guys uh, met with me, usually it was very late at night. So if you can imagine, they're single they work until like 11 o'clock at night. Um, I'm married. I've been working all day and, you know, I have family and so forth. And about 11 o'clock midnight, they want to meet. And we want to meet in like a really smoky coffee shop. And they're, um, they're you know, talking and so forth. And they throw out um, a question to me. And it was related to a YouTube uh, video of an imam at a mosque who was talking about the Trinity. And so in this loud, smoky coffee shop at like 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm exhausted and I'm still working on my Arabic, and that's why I, I you know, befriended these guys in the first place was to start. Just think about this. This is thrown at me, and they have a little video going. And so I'm supposed to explain the Trinity right then. And so... One of the things that I felt was a lot of pressure at that time. I felt like I had to piece together what Arabic I knew in this, this really terrible setting. Of course, we know that the Trinity is not easy to explain in English, right? So I'm figuring out that I, I'm just fumbling over things and trying to figure this out. But I felt a huge amount of pressure. And as I look back on it, I think that what would have been a better approach was to just evaluate this from the standpoint of, hey, what do you understand about the Trinity? Rather than us jumping into this complex theological idea, why don't we start with the basics so that I can get to the root of what you actually understand? And I can ask you some questions so that we can see what do you even mean by Trinity when you share it and your understanding of what Christians believe. And then we can perhaps address what this um, Muslim uh, religious leader is talking about from a more educated standpoint so that you can understand where I come from and I can understand where you come from. Does that make sense? And so the point is I do encourage all of us to do the same thing. It's not that we want to push off these important topics, but we don't want to jump into the deep dive water before we know how to doggy paddle, okay? Okay. Uh, so the first thing would be to start off with some conversation that uncovers what their presuppositions are and what their ideas are that they bring to the table. Some other basics about Muslims uh, is they often equate Christianity with American or Western culture. So one of the very important things that we need to do up front is to make sure that we let them know emphatically that we do not ascribe to uh, Hollywood uh, in terms of what Christianity is. It's not the same. We have to make that very clear. So from particularly for women, it's important to emphasize that the Bible teaches about modesty and chastity and so forth. And for men, we have to make sure that we are setting the example, walking purely and letting them know that we detest these types of things as well. And the Bible teaches against these things. So we do have some commonality there, even though our reasoning and rationale is different. Another thing that uh, is important is um, 
be passionate, being passionate about uh, what you believe. Um, they respect passion and confidence in what we share. Not to mistake this for anger. Um, if you've ever spent any time in the Middle East, no matter where, uh, whether it be or in Middle East or North Africa, you know that when a couple of men from a, um, a background like that are talking, whether they're Muslim or not, even the, the Arab Christians that we've interacted with, there's a lot of passion behind what they're saying. And so that's what is oftentimes expected from others uh, from our faith, is to be passionate about it. And it's not offensive, it's not an argument, it's not meant to offend, but it's um, a test, so to speak, of, of what you, do you really believe what you believe? Are you really serious about what you're saying to me? Muslims are generally hospitable, um, and a lot of that has to do with their cultural background, Middle East, North Africa. And so that's why oftentimes we talk about relationships, being very relationship-oriented with them, and then uh, can be outreach-oriented and may seek your conversion. I have a little example of that. If you see the men that are surrounding me, uh, one of those men, the one in the red shirt, is a young man who I met uh, in Amman, Jordan, a uh, very nice uh, young man. He's from a Palestinian family. Well, I saw God just doing great things as I was only in Jordan for about th uh, six months and just started learning Arabic and kind of getting into things. I saw him bringing uh, these young men into my life, and it was amazing because I, I really wanted to interact and I really wanted to, to share the gospel as quickly as possible. And so this young man was very open. We were friends. We talked. He wanted to learn English. I wanted to work on my language. And he invited me over for dinner. I brought his mom a big bouquet of flowers. Um, it was about 12 o'clock at night that we started dinner. His uh, Palestinian mom is tearing. Uh, she's got her hands, and she's tearing this chicken apart and throwing it on everybody's plate. And it's really nice. Uh, but... I didn't realize that it, there would be so many people there. Um, he had brothers, and he had his father, and his mother, and he had cousins, and he had their wives. Everybody's there. And so by the time 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning came, they took me into the side room or their living room, which was the place, kind of a place of honor if they would bring you there, and share with you a time where they could relax and unwind, and they could um, just really talk to you heart to heart about what's on their minds. And so they listened to me a little bit as I tried to, to share what I knew at that time in Arabic. But they all surrounded me. I didn't know where I was in the city. We had taken a taxi there. I left my wife and kids at home because I knew that my kids would be bouncing off the walls at 2 in the morning. But I also didn't know what to expect. And what I did see was I saw an entire family seeking my conversion. They wanted me to become a Muslim. They had everyone there talking to me, asking me why I wouldn't become a Muslim. And so I, I bring this up because oftentimes we might find that um, we're talking about evangelism and sharing the gospel in our communities, but did you ever think that they're also probably wanting you to come to their side. They want you to understand, and they want you to accept what they, uh, what they believe. And so this is one thing that 
is not just unique to the Middle East or North Africa. Remember, these people that we are interacting with, they have families of their own and they have backgrounds and they come from a culture and they want to share with us as well. So be passionate about what you believe. Be passionate about the scriptures. Be passionate about Jesus Christ. Some basics about Islam, and I'll go through these quickly. Um, uh, Islam exists as a religion and a state. It's not just a religion. Um, there's not just this easy separation that we Westerners tend to make. This is something that they consider to be all together. It's one of those things that they're, they're combined, they're married together. So when we think about this religion that uh, rules over their lives, we're also looking at, a, they're looking at it from a political standpoint as well. And so that's why when we see um, protests in Iran, for example, and we see all of this pushback of the community against the political state, um, this is also a pushback against the religion, uh, the religious state as well. Um, Islam is, is strictly monotheistic. Um, they see no plurality in God. Uh, and so that's why Christianity is instantly viewed as a polytheistic religion. And so when you think about this, however, it's important to ask your friend, you know, what do they mean when they say that we as Christians believe in three gods? Um, when they talk about, uh, when we talk about Jesus and we talk about, um, say, Mary, we're not talking about some type of relationship in which God and Mary came together and had Jesus in, from that standpoint in terms of a sexual type of relation, a carnal type of relationship. That's not what we're getting at, but that's kind of what the view is. And so we need to really get under those misunderstandings and talk about what the scripture really says. The deity is called Allah, but without a personal relationship. Um, we talk about the God of the Bible and the love that he has for us and the desire that he has for us to know him personally. Well, Allah is more of a slave master, uh, not a God that wants to be known personally or wants to know personally or will reveal himself to a people that he loves. It's not like that at all. They do teach respect for Jesus, but only as a prophet, as someone said over here, not as a maybe a good Bible teacher but, or a good teacher of, of spiritual things, but not as, a, not as the son of God. Um, in Islam, uh, there is a denial of original sin, no guarantee of salvation. Um, there is an elevation of the writings of the Quran and the teachings and sayings of uh, Muhammad, their prophet. Now I'd just like to transition a little bit and talk about how we can view Muslims in our lives. And again, as I talk about being people or treating them as people and not projects, we're really talking about how we can invest in the relationship and be genuine friends and not uh, just see them as a temporary way, a temporary target for our evangelism efforts. We really want to actually develop a trusting relationship in order to make some headway into sharing the gospel with them such that they really take it on board. One of the things that I think it's important to remind ourselves is that we're all created in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So I think that this passage applies to all humans. Um, And so those who ascribe to the Islamic faith are within that. They're made in God's image. And although they may be... um, erring in what they're believing about God at the time, I believe that it's important for us to recognize that they are very deserving of our love and our our genuine, authentic friendship so that we might share with them what friends share with friends. And those are the most important things of life, the things that we believe, the things that really matter to us. This is an example of of that. Um, We, when I say that Uh, we are needing to share out of the context of friendship. I'm not talking about friendship evangelism, so to speak. I'm talking about being genuine uh, in front of people, inviting them into our homes, allowing them to see how we interact with our spouse, uh, how we interact with our children, uh, how we love one another, what we are like when we're sick or when we're doing, when we're in Uh, experiencing difficulty or when there's a death in the family, so on and so forth. Um, This is an example of how we've been able to do that uh, a little bit, and this is in the context of our home. So I very much believe that we can start in kind of a neutral sort of place, maybe uh, meeting at a coffee shop or uh, hanging out at the gym or playing pickleball together. Um, But eventually, you know, it's important to also allow people even into our more intimate areas, and that means, you know, into our homes where they can see, you know, where we live and how we are acting and, you know, how we are interacting with our family and how we actually demonstrate hospitality for others when they come into our space. But there must be some balance in all of this as well. Now, what do I mean by that? If your only focus is kindness and hospitality, you might avoid the challenging but necessary matter of sharing Christ. And so it's important to be hospitable and to be kind and to be friendly and to be honest and authentic. But at the same time, it's very important for us to be sharing Christ and to risk offense But if we're offending on account of teaching the truth of the gospel, then it has to be done. We should love Muslims with Christ's love, and we cannot withhold from them the most important news in life, the good news of the gospel. So with this idea and continuing with this idea, um, humbly loving Muslims around you, For you or for me, um, that might be living next to them and asking for help. That might be living in an apartment complex and living next door to them and knowing that I need some sugar and I don't have time to go to the store because I need to get this meal taken care of and just knocking on their door and showing some vulnerability. People oftentimes like to help others and it it, it establishes a connection. Praying for them by name. Maybe around the table with your family, uh, maybe when you're doing whatever you do uh, in your pastime. But spending time in intercessory prayer is very important. Um, I've heard this, this idea of 
you know, talking to God about somebody before talking to somebody about God. You know, it's this concept of, you know, God is the one who's ultimately going to reach them and touch their hearts anyway, right? So why not start with him before we even start interacting with that individual? And this applies to ministry within Muslim contexts as well. Love Muslims by listening in order to learn about them. Ask some sincere questions. Ask some educated questions. Maybe spend a little bit of time reading about their, the country where they might have come from. And if they were born here in the States, ask about the country or read and learn a little bit about the country where their family comes from originally, if not um, originating here. But show an interest, a genuine interest, just like you would any friend. And spend time with them without an agenda. I know this is very difficult for me. Uh, for others of you who are task-oriented, it may be the same. Um, but it's oftentimes very difficult to stop or to carve out time when you have a lot of things on your agenda to do. You have families and work schedules and so forth. Uh, but if you can spend some time without an agenda, uh, maybe just hanging out together. I've, since I've been back in the States, I've discovered pickleball. I had never seen it before, never heard about it before. But it's, it was a, a great experience for me and a few other missionaries uh, back in July to spend a few hours, you know, just doing this. And it, we didn't had no agenda. We had a, a kind of a time frame, but we just really wanted to enjoy one another, and it was a blessing. So do that with friends. Invite them to do, with your Muslim friends, invite them to do something like this. And that can start off, um, you know, those, uh, those relationships that will build and into something that will be more spiritually focused, uh, opportunities for you to share the gospel. Pepper your conversations with what Jesus means to you. Um, giving your testimony is always a great approach to evangelism, um, sharing, you know, what your experience has been like, um, but also not just that, um, trying to get to certain scriptures and you know, I would say that one of the, the things that would be important is not just reciting the scripture from memory or sharing about your experience, but actually perhaps taking them to the Bible and showing them, letting them read what it is, what it is that you read when God really touched your heart or when a pastor preached a particular sermon. What passage was that that impacted you and what were you going through at the time? Um, again, remember that with Muslims, it's very natural for someone to want to share something spiritual because they are spiritual people. Um, and those who have even gone away from their family's faith, they're still expecting people who are serious about their faith to share about it. And so this is an opportunity for us to do the same. But pepper your conversations with Jesus. Make sure that they understand how much you honor him and what he does and talk about the great things and the great claims about him that are evident in the Gospels and all, all over. Um, talk about Jesus. Make sure he's, throughout, he's spread throughout your conversation. And, of course, as I mentioned, read Scripture with them as much as possible. In Muslim evangelism, nothing can compare with reading the Bible slowly and carefully with Muslims. And I think that uh, kind of touches on a little bit of what we heard this morning when we were talking about uh, when the, the, the preacher was talking about going back to some of the basics of the slow prodding and 
going through the scriptures and talking through the message uh, and allowing God's word to impact people as he says it will. Also, I mean, we need to represent our church well. I mean, we already have it right on our website, a high view of God, a high view of scripture. So it really wouldn't make sense if we weren't honoring that by opening those scriptures and showing people, right? Another aspect of treating Muslims as people has to do with cultivating relationships. And my wife, Angelique, will come up and share a bit about that topic. Good morning. It's good to be here with all of you today. Um, as you've seen some of the pictures, these are two of my closest friends in the neighborhood we originally lived in, in France. On the left is Haula, and she is a Tunisian, and on the right um, is Miriam. Uh, she's married to a Moroccan. Her mother is from the islands, uh, so her mother was from Catholic background, and her father was Muslim. Um, so when I was just thinking about this topic, I looked up the definition of cultivate, and some of the things that it said, just preparation of the land, use of that land by the farmer for crops, loosening or breaking up the soil, fostering growth, um, improving upon something through work, care, or study, and making and develop friendship. So as I th was thinking about the relationships that I've had the opportunity to have, um, mostly in France, uh, Jordan, for me, I had little kids. I spent a lot of time at home. I was homeschooling. I was learning the language, but really did not have the opportunity to cultivate relationships as I have had the opportunity to do in France. I also didn't have as much time to use the language. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about was a farmer. You know, when he sees land, one of the first things he's going to do is he's surveying. And actually, that's one of the first things, one of the first steps of church planting that we do is we go into a new place, and that surveying is making observations. And so the, some of the basic steps that he would take um, would be preparing and surveying, testing, turning, sowing, and watering often. And you can just go back to the last slide. Um, and so... That first step in preparation, I know for me personally, that always begins with prayer. I was just thinking about the verse from Colossians 4, 3, just asking the Lord, you know, open a door for your message so that I can proclaim the mystery of Christ to the people that I'm interacting with or will cross paths on a day-to-day -day basis. If you look at our website, christar.org, there's a place that says God creates access. And from that scripture, we see, you know, we're seeking him. Open the door. Open the door. Where is the access? And that can be in different forms, as you guys have, you know, shared this morning. That's either on the job. Um, it's in our schools and our universities. The picture that you saw earlier, that was where we live, the white towers in the background, we live on the fifth floor of that tower, but if we were standing on the porch of that building, I look across the street, there's a university. Um, similar activities, whether that's pickleball or um, uh, both of these friends, 
I have, we go to the movies together. They have film festivals in France. Uh, it, it just so happened this past year that the film festival was uh, centered around um, North African uh, film producers. And so um, Howell and I, we went to a movie. And during the movie, she talked to me the whole time. And she explained it was about the Arab Spring. It was about the young man who self-humiliated. And it was just capture. It was you know, giving a depiction of that story. She knew where it all was taking place, um, why it happened, the political tensions, it was great. Um, and then we're able to, from there, just kind of go into spiritual conversation as we discuss those things. So similar activities and interests. So um, it be, I believe the preparation really begins with prayer. Cornelius talked about some other ways you can prepare. Um, uh, but it's essential, really, for, I think, discovering the hearts in the people of those he is potentially working in and preparing. So um, the next step after prayer in that preparation is, you saw on the slide it said testing, but what, what does that mean? I was thinking about that in the context of, you know, the farmer's going to test the soil. He's going to test the pH of the soil, the orientation, you know, light and all that, drainage, all of those things. Um, when I'm thinking of testing in this context, it's really just seeking to know and understand, not for the sake of knowledge, but for relationship. Who is this person? Um, where do they come from? Why are they here? You know, if they've just moved, what's brought them here? What's been challenging? What's been hard? You know, living in this new country, if they have children, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe some of you are familiar with the term uh, third culture kids. Well, they've got third culture kids, not just, not just missionaries. Missionaries, military, anyone who is not in their home of or origin or their passport culture, their kids are walking through some of those challenges. So these are great questions that you can begin to ask just to kind of orient yourself to, you know, what are they struggling with? And so... Just to go back, um, when we were talking about the preparation, how did I meet these two ladies? When we were talking about how God created access, the way that I met Miriam was actually through my son. And so uh, Joel was in, I don't know this, maybe the first grade, and he was invited to a birthday party. I go to the birthday party, um, and I have the opportunity to meet Miriam. We discover that we have a similar interest. She speaks three languages, Chinese, English, French. Um, that's four already. And now she's studying Arabic because she wants to know how to read her Quran. Um, and so we had similar interests. We both love historical fiction. Um, so that's something that, you know, we really enjoy doing together. I met... Um, Haula, because I was praying for a friend, I said, Lord, I, you know, I would really love anybody. <laughs> At that time, it was just really a lonely time. It was right before we were going into COVID. And I met her as I was walking to my house. She lived right on the other street. And um, she walked up and she said, I think you would just be a great friend. Will you be my friend? She had, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, God is so, so faithful. Um, she had lived in another, she had lived in Mexico. And the Lord had already begun sowing seed at that time. 
they were Jehovah's Witnesses, so she had a Bible, and she was like, yeah, they've, they've talked to me about certain things. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus Christ. I believe in the God of the Bible, and she said, well, that's okay. Let's, let's be friends, and so we have become really good friends. Um, and now she tells me, stop telling me about Jesus, but I, I continue to tell her about Jesus. But um, anyway, uh, just back to the testing, I thought it was important to how do I met them, but back to the testing, um, just asking good questions, using tools, as he mentioned, two other tools that we've come across is vemercenter.com and also on christar.org, which is our ascending organization. They have a learn tab, so you can go there and they just have really good information about interacting our organization focused on Buddhists, Muslims, and Hindus. So in whatever context, whatever the people group is within your neighborhood, you can go there. Um, so also, the asking questions shows interest. Uh, in France, there is not a national holiday for the last day of Ramadan. And so, but I noticed that the last day of Ramadan, all of the families are going to the mosque. Um, and I think basically there's a requirement, you know, that they're going to spend that last day of breaking the fast. They're going to go and worship and they're going to break the fast together. But since it's not a national holiday, I was able to ask Miriam, so how is that for you? You know, because you've got to get off work, you've got your, your kids, it's, you can't just not have your kids in school. So, you know, you have to keep your kids from school, you've got to give an excuse for why they're not there. And so, you know, just an opportunity to ask those types of questions. And so what are we doing there? We're cultivating trust. Um, and just developing that relationship. Um, so we're, you know, taking time in prayer and preparation. We're um, testing, meaning just getting to know them, really working on asking good questions, showing genuine interest. And so the next one was turning, turning the soil. We see them tilling the soil, and I liken that to getting beneath the surface. Um, and how do we... I don't think I'm sharing anything that's really revelatory to just being, being a friend and making friends. But getting beneath the surface for me really meant what am I giving and offering? And I see that as giving invitations to our own lives, our own table, breaking bread together, and our needs um, and so I see the relationship as an exchange, and it's something reciprocal. Getting beneath the surface also is, I think the Arabic language is beautiful. Uh, their poetry, their writings, their art, their music. Uh, if you listen to the music, I think they have the most beautiful voices that I have ever heard. Um, but showing or relating that as you encounter, like, go home and turn on some Arabic worship. Listen to that music. Listen to the songs. What are those different instruments that they used? Maybe you have an interest in art. Maybe you have an interest in literature. Go and look at those different writings. Um, 
God has made all of creation to glorify him. And so as we make these relationships and we can go to them and just let them know, this is what I see as beautiful. Can you tell me more about that? We are there getting beneath the surface. So there are pathways to really, you know, invitations to our own lives, invitation to our own table to break bread, invitations to our own needs. Those are the truest and most authentic pathways to introduce our friends to our greatest friend and Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. That is gathering. Um, And it's really also an opportunity to touch on the heart issues for which the Bible has the answers and solutions. And so that's about family, family, marriage, education, and a great source of encouragement. Miriam, we study the Bible together. She is a devout Muslim. We started in the Old Testament. We started in Genesis. Um, Slowly, when we can meet, we talk about the scriptures, and she loves the Psalms. Um, And the last one is just uh, for the farmer, you know, sowing and watering. Um, Being available, being present, being dependable, um, regular and consistent with your time together, being patient. I found that some of the women, their situations are all different. So um, I'm finding that even as I meet people, most times it's on their terms. So in our new neighborhood, I've just made, met some ladies and I've tried to meet with this one lady. Well, she's not going to come without her friend. So it's contingent upon whether or not her friend is available. And so I just patiently wait and pray and hope for an opportunity. And so it's also going to be a, a persistent pursuit um, and really genuinely, you know, conveying love. I love this person. Um, and I would like to discover this other image bearer of God. Um, yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you. I really love my wife. She comes from a perspective that I can't quite get, you know, and it, it, it enriches, enriches what we have to share. So um, thank you for that. Uh, just continuing on, uh, I would like to say that um, when we are trying to cultivate these relationships and get to know people, we have some negative interactions sometimes. And what I'll say to you is that um, it's not always easy for me or my wife or others to feel a love, a natural love uh, for Muslims in terms of reaching out to them. Uh, we had some very difficult experiences in, in the Middle East, for example. And sometimes we were not treated in the way that we um, believe that people should be treated, especially when you spend so much time trying to get to a place in order to share what you think is good. And sometimes when that's thrown back at you and you're not treated well, it's really kind of a, uh, it's a, it's a hard feeling to accept. And so um, I found that coming back to the United States, I had a lot of anger and frustration, and it was just really difficult uh, to, to see, you know, why is it that I need to love uh, these people and why do I need to continue in this type of ministry? Um, yet, our love for the unsaved, uh, in this case the Muslim, it should be tied to our feelings. Uh, it should be tied to the command of God. 
who tells us that we are to love uh, others and reach out to those who are lost and, and, and share with them the most valuable jewel that, that we have, and, and that is the gospel. And so um, the, the feelings need to follow, um, but the obedience needs to be the place where we start. Um, the next uh, point I'd like to, to emphasize here is proclaiming Christ boldly. And I, I've touched on this before, uh, not being ashamed of what we are about uh, as believers. Um, but uh, just a couple of points uh, within this idea. Uh, don't be aggressive or argumentative. Um, and also don't appease the surrounding culture. Um, we are, uh, you know, one of the things that we oftentimes utilize as a marker as to how far we move forward with somebody is whether or not they're receptive to just some of the initial things uh, that we are talking to them about. Whether they're interested in getting into the scriptures, for example, is, is also a big indicator. Um, I, uh, my wife just mentioned there was one lady, Miriam, her Moroccan friend who uh, was very open to meeting with her on a regular basis to actually read the Bible because she as a, a devout Muslim you know, there's some expectations that they know the Bible because the Quran actually mentions the scriptures and a good Muslim is going to know kind of where the, some of these references come from. And so she was very open to that. And so Angelique saw a path forward. Whereas I have an Algerian friend who, uh, within our first few weeks of knowing one another, I asked him, hey, would you like to read the Bible with me? I mean, I know that Muslims are, you know, they have some responsibility in terms of understanding a little bit about the Bible. And he said, you know, no, you know, why, why would I, I mean, I can't do that because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Muslim. So, and so it was, he was not really even aware enough of his own holy book or responsibilities or, or didn't necessarily have the interest. So I knew that, hey, perhaps I need to instead spend my time or more time with uh, someone else who's actually shown a little bit more interest and a desire to, to be with me and to uh, exchange, you know, what we are uh, believing as individuals about God. So it's tempting to avoid sensitive topics that Muslims openly disagree with. Um, things like talking about Jesus, and, and particularly in my world, um, when we're trying to, uh, in, the Mus in the missionary world, when we're talking about Muslim ministry, and you know, you know that you start talking about Jesus as a son of God, then, you know, you know, ears are going to start closing, you know, they're not want, going to want to engage as much. But does that mean that we stop? No, we have to persist. We have to continue. And it doesn't have to be overly aggressive or offensive, uh, but we have to continue staying fast or, or staying the course with what we've been called to do. And that's, with, that's about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and showing them the pathway to salvation and a better um, existence in this life, regardless of the difficulties. Uh, we are to proclaim the supremacy of Christ and emphasize what the Bible uh, actually says, not what they have perceived or understood from their past. Because that's the only way that we can really truly help anybody. I really believe that. Um, one writer says, uh, you should be solid in your belief in Christ, and you should never compromise you do not, however, want to win debates and lose friendships. Competitive discussions usually lead nowhere. And I have a note here to myself just to mention to you that if you ever find yourself uh, in a conversation with your Muslim friend or colleague or whatnot, you're having coffee together, playing uh, a game together or working out together, um, try not to allow uh, political issues or other types of um, 
um, hot buttons to distract from what the message is really about. Um, some of these things can really divert your relationship into other areas, and you can spend all your time, we can spend all of our time talking about what's happening in the news, right? So that's not where we want to be. We really want to stay on course. Um, share Bible stories about Jesus' power, um, especially when your friend shares problems or struggles with you. You know, share some of your problems, some of your struggles. Um, if you have a relative that you're trying to support who, uh, like my wife's sister, for example, right now has um, uh, uh, cancer and it's spread through various parts of her body and most recently into her brain. And, you know, how do you, what, what kinds of things can she share when she goes back to um, our community in France and when she's interacting with these ladies that you saw on the screen? She can talk about how she has, she and her sister, who knows the Lord, have hope for eternal life and how we can get through these types of difficulties because we have Jesus in our lives. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Um, this passage uh, coming from 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses 4 and 5, uh, you know, of course, John, uh, John, you know, the Apostle John, he's repeating a whole lot of um, very uh, fundamental tenets of our faith throughout this, this epistle. And when we get to chapter 5, you know, he is, you know, talk, tying things in again, and he's repeating it to us again just to hammer things home. And, you know, in verse 4, you know, he talks about this victory in life, you know, this ability to overcome the world or to really push back uh, with victory against this world system that is trying to keep us from obeying the Lord, that's trying to keep us from obeying God. And then, you know, he mentions it as being our faith. And then in verse 5, he asks this rhetorical question to sort of unpack what he's, what he's talking about. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the same thing that he mentions in verse 1 of this chapter when he mentions the Christ. He says that, you know, whoever believes uh, he's talking about whoever believes in, in, in Jesus as Christ is born of God. Well, here in verse 5, he says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So what we're, what we're seeing here is that this, there's this great emphasis on being able to live um, in a difficult existence, in a difficult world, a fallen world, the only way we can actually do that well and effectively and to have joy in the midst of trial is if we believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Only if we are born of God can we actually have this type of life. And so that's the thing that we want to share with our, our Muslim friends. That is the only way that we can help them. Um, I believe uh, the last time I was here for a missions conference, there was a lot of emphasis on this type of thing because you know, in missions, we oftentimes want to do things to help people in terms of their physical needs at the moment, but we may put uh, as secondary the proclamation of the gospel, but actually it should be the reverse. We should have the proclamation as a priority, and we should love people. We should be involved in all those great works, uh, but we can't neglect the thing that they really need, and that is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Paul also says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Whenever we interact with Muslims, we must be consumed with the biblical truth that the gospel is God's power for salvation. In order for people to be reconciled with God, the gospel must be proclaimed. You are the proclaimer, Christ's ambassador. I'd like to finish up by talking a little bit about the essential nature of the church. And then I'd like to just have a few minutes, if we possibly can, for any questions that you, know, you have for me or Angelique or any, any thoughts related to the topics that we shared. Um, the essential nature of the church. And I want to talk about this from three different perspectives, as I mentioned earlier. First of all, the influence on society. Um, it's very difficult for a few believers to have an impact in, you know, a huge society. In our case, uh, we're looking at about a community of about 35,000 uh, with about 70% of Muslim background, immigrants, refugees, and so forth. We can't really, you know, as eight evangelicals, figure out how to really tackle all of that ourselves. Even from the standpoint, I mean, we trust the Lord, but even from the standpoint of just all of the, the walking around the community and engaging people. We're just not in all the little spheres where people are. So we need help. And the way to do that is we take, we leverage the power that we have through the presence of the church in the community. Um, I have one church who right before coming here, uh, the pastor and one of their elder, the senior elder, agreed that I could be involved in uh, helping the church to have some goals relative to evangelizing the Muslim community. And so I'm really excited about that because that's a partnership. That means that even though our numbers for missionary teams might be low, we have all this access to other people who can also join us in, in sharing truth. Please remember that the church is good for society. Uh, the presence of the church is good for society. Um, this is a, a scene uh, that you may have seen, you may have viewed recently on various uh, news channels, but it's from France. And guess what's happening? Anybody know what's happening up here? Okay, riots, okay? Right outside of our window, there was a pyrotechnic show right before we, while we were packing to come to the States. We didn't know what was happening. Uh, a couple nights before that, we were having some angry mobs coming through uh, right in our neighborhood. And next, the next morning, I'm getting up and I'm seeing cars flipped over and burned out, parts of the street just completely burned. And it was, it was just incredible. This didn't even start in our part of, the, of the, the city of Paris, but in the northwest. And so it was just different. It was different to, to see this happening right near us. This is an image of firefighters responding to the results of the rioting um, when a 17-year-old was killed in France recently. The rioting resulted from a continual buildup of tension between the French society and largely the Muslim community and some of the poorer communities in which they live. Uh, but there's a lot uh, that can be said about humanitarian types of efforts, and France is kind of on the forefront of that. They do a lot of building. There's a lot of social programs. There's a lot of other things that are happening, and a lot of these things do have a positive impact on people. But what we've really learned is that nothing can replace the presence of the church um, in communities, nothing can replace the, the repetitive uh, teaching of the scriptures and involvement of Christians in your lives. And so in a country like we're in, in a postmodern uh, Europe, where church and state are very much separated and you cannot even wear a cross into the, onto the school grounds, 
um, there's very, it's very difficult for programs and things like this by themselves to have a, a long-term impact. The presence of the church is essential from a standpoint of discipleship and training. Uh, a couple years ago, I was exposed to the uh, materials that you have, the one-on-one discipleship partners uh, ministry and the things that are there. The church is important for helping believers to know their Bibles, as we heard uh, in the passage this morning. Um, when I, I looked on our website and found some information on partners, and it says um, uh, partners examines 10 different aspects of the Christian life through Bible study and discussion. And I think this is like a, a, week, a one-on-one, uh, week-after-week kind of study for several weeks, right? Well, that's critical. That, that's very hard to find anywhere, and you have it right here. So I would encourage you to take advantage of it. Uh, but this is the type of thing that we want to be utilizing there because guess what? When you get to the point where you're sharing the gospel and people say that they come to Christ, particularly within the Muslim community, there's a lot that fall off eventually because there's a lot of persecution that they deal with as soon as they come to know the Lord. So it's very important that we verify that people are really solid before we start moving on and assuming that they're okay and that they're going to continue to stick with the, the, the gospel that they've been, they've been taught. It's very important that we are there with them for that. And the presence of the church finally is essential uh, from a community and fellowship uh, uh, standpoint. Muslims need to know that the church is there in order to replace the community that they will inevitably lose uh, when they come to Christ. Now, we have to be very clear with them early on. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. One writer says that it is a mistake for Christians to assure Muslims that everything will be fine once they follow Christ. Because guess what? That's not necessarily the case. Uh, Particularly in Muslim-majority countries, uh, that's not necessarily going to be the case. But even in the states here, we are in the West. We're in the United States or we're in Europe. But guess what? Their culture and some of the negative things about what you do to converts who dishonor Islam because they've become Christians, some of those things follow them, particularly from the family. They are threatened, even here. Um, in France, uh, there was a gentleman, or a, there was a gentleman whose daughter told him that a professor, a history professor in middle school, was saying something negative about Muhammad. And this turned into a very bad situation because this same father of this child in middle school found this teacher on the street and beheaded him in France. And so there was a lot uh, to say about this. There was a lot of things. And so this is when, when there is an offense towards uh, this Muslim prophet or when there is Uh, someone who dishonors their family or the religion because of a conversion, then there will be a repercussion for that. There will be something that happens. And are we willing to step in and be the church alongside people when they face this, uh, this type of situation that will happen? So what I'm talking about here, just to be clear, is how we are looking from the other side. When we share the gospel with our Muslim friends, And they actually say, yes, they actually repent. They actually know what they're getting into and they believe Christ. 
They trust in the Lord. They're on the other side. Um, What are we willing to do? How are we willing to step in? What are you willing to do to help an an ex-Muslim? If you truly share the gospel with them, are you willing to be the church around them? Um, If they're kicked out of their family on account of your testimony about Jesus, what are you prepared to do in order to help them? If a young woman is threatened by the men in her family, her father, her brothers, her uncles, because she's heard your testimony and she comes to Christ, what are you willing to do in order to help her? And I'm not talking about in the Muslim world. I'm talking about right here in Texas, uh, in the United States. What are you willing to do? So I, I think that as we approach ideas and soft skills and thoughts about how we can approach Muslims within our circles of influence and within our communities, we also need to be hopeful that they will, in fact, be saved. Um, But what after that, what do we do? I think that's a very important question as well, because we need to be the church around them.